This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Everyone who serves on a jury is required to swear an oath, so help me God. This presupposes on the part of the state that the juror believes in a higher power. In one case, the juror not only swore the oath, but asked for God's guidance in the case at hand. The juror prayed and believed that he'd received an answer from the Holy Ghost. He shared that information with other jurors during the deliberation, but one juror was alarmed and took his concern to the judge. The judge then interviewed the juror who prayed, and he confirmed that he'd prayed and received guidance from the Holy Spirit. The judge's conclusion was that this juror had received guidance from outside the court, and therefore was removed from the jury. The specific case aside, there are enormous implications for people of faith fulfilling their civic duty by serving on juries. Does this mean that someone who believes in the power of prayer or that God answers prayers could no longer sit on a jury? The full 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is deciding this very question. First Liberty Institute attorney Leah Patterson discusses the case on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Concordia University, Chicago, in River Forest, Illinois, specially delivered 250 face masks to Holy Family School in Chicago, a university partner through Chicagoland Lutheran Educational Foundation. Concordia River Forest Alumni Association launched their Buy One, Give One face mask initiative in June to support their fellow graduates. Within the first 48 hours, alumni and friends purchased more than 100 masks. Proceeds from this initiative to provide personal protective equipment to faculty and staff at university partner schools and support current undergraduates through the Guard Student Assistance Fund. Additional mask drops will be made in the future. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys representing Bozeman High School students and their Christian Student Club, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, have secured recognition of the student group as an official non-curricular club and policy revisions from the Montana School District officials. This allows the group equal access to resources and the ability to recruit new members. The school responded by reinstating the Fellowship of Christian Athletes' official status as a non-curricular club and changing its policies to ensure that similar unconstitutional actions do not occur in the future. Bozeman High School recognizes many different non-curricular clubs on campus, including the Climate Crisis Club, Sexuality and Gender Alliance, Human Rights Club, Project X2+, and the Native American Club. The U.S. Department of Labor has issued a new rule intended to foster full and equal participation of religious groups as federal contractors. The final rule will become effective January the 8th, two weeks before the presidential inauguration. It's the latest development in the long-running battle over how to balance religious rights with other, particularly LGBT, rights. The Trump administration's focus on religious liberty has been hailed by conservatives and questioned as discriminatory by advocates of church-state separation and LGBT activists who say they're concerned that religious exemptions will deprive same-sex couples access to services. 
House Democrats and their witnesses at an Appropriations Committee hearing yesterday characterized the Hyde Amendment, which prohibits federal government from funding abortions, as clearly racist. The Hyde Amendment prevents federal funding of abortions except to save the life of the woman or in the case of incest or rape. It was passed in 1976 and has been upheld by the Supreme Court in a 1980 ruling. The Hyde Amendment, which is a budget provision, has been passed every single year, no matter the party of the president or the party in control of Congress. Both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, who are pro-abortion presidents, signed appropriation bills that included the Hyde Amendment. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Would you believe a juror has been dismissed because he asked for God's guidance? Now that's exactly what happened. First Liberty Institute is going to be talking to me about that. My guest today is Ms. Leah Patterson with the Institute. Ms. Patterson, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, we know the wonderful work that First Liberty does, but uh, tell me about who uh, Leah Patterson is. Certainly. Well, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area, uh, went to Texas Christian University for my undergraduate degree and the University of Virginia for law school. I came to First Liberty about three years ago and have been litigating religious liberty cases ever since. So you've got quite a quite a track record going here. This is an intriguing case to me. Uh, I've served on jury on juries before, and you're supposed to swear an oath. That is correct. Which implies a, a belief in a higher power, uh, and uh, many people will swear it on the Bible, or you know. So help me God is how the oath goes, and uh, this particular juror, as I understand, during deliberations said that he asked God for guidance in the case. And uh, by golly, the judge says, well, that's outside. Uh, you may have received the guidance, but it's outside the trial, and therefore illegal, and therefore you're off the case. Is this really what happened? Pretty much. So uh, what happened is this this trial happened in April of 2017. And while the jury was deliberating, uh, one of the jurors expressed that that he had prayed for God's guidance and that he believed that he had received it, that he trusted the Holy Spirit. 
Well, one of his fellow jurors was concerned and, and uh, wrote a note to the judge. The judge investigated. And upon questioning this juror, the, the discovered, you know, the juror confirmed that, that he had, you know, no political, religious, or moral beliefs that would preclude him from serving as a fair and impartial juror. So uh, at, at this point, the juror gave repeated assurances to the judge that he was basing his opinion about the case on the evidence. Nevertheless, the the judge removed him from the jury, finding that his expressions that he trusted in the Holy Spirit were essentially categorically uh, disqualifying from jury service because it was an outside influence on the on the verdict. Uh, that's that's how this case got started, and uh, this it's interesting to see where it's going. Well, I'm reading a, a news release here that uh, came from First uh, First Liberty, and it comes up with a very interesting statement. It says, how is it possible that we demand a juror take an oath invoking God's aid in rendering a verdict, but then dismiss the same juror for taking that oath seriously? Right. When uh, Actually, when, when the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals first considered the case back in, in January, just Judge Pryor dissented, and what, one of the things that he he pointed out was, you know, how can you ask a juror to say, "So help me God," but then punish him for actually believing it? That doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. But then sometimes our government does make a lot of sense. I've noticed. <laughs> Indeed. I remember well one time when I was uh, uh, called up for jury duty. Uh, you have to fill out a questionnaire. And uh, the questionnaire specifically asked me about my religion. And uh, I, I got, will confess, I got a little bit uppity about that and uh, <laughs> said, <laughs> said, it's really none of the state's business. And then the state said, oh, yes, it is. No. So he went <laughs> on and on like that. And that is part of it. I mean, the does the state really have a role to play here where they're, they're asking a person's uh, faith after they're assuming he has it, he or she has it by swearing an oath and then question him even further? Well, I can tell you kind of the, the cases where this usually comes up. So oftentimes what will happen is someone of, of a particular religious faith has certain beliefs that would preclude them from serving on a jury. So someone who believes that their religion prohibits them from sitting in judgment of others or someone who is asked to serve on a death penalty case, but they have a religious objection to the death penalty. And what happens usually in those cases is the juror makes clear that their religious belief actually prohibits them from participating in a jury, and then the the court will dismiss them as essentially a a religious accommodation so that the government would not be forcing them to violate their faith. This is very different than that situation because what it boils down to is essentially a misunderstanding about certain uh, ways of expressing one's faith. And it's very, very different when a court is disqualifying a juror because of the way he expresses how he's deliberating. That's a different thing. I think I can see that actually in my case, it turned out it was indeed a murder case. And I think they probably wanted to know if I was a member of a faith that opposed the death penalty. So that may have been the case. But uh, looking here at this at this case, I mean, this, this was a fraud case. I don't really see where they could possibly make a, uh, a, a ruling that, that any kind of a religious injunction or belief would affect a fraud decision. 
I know it's, it's a little bit, uh, out, out of left field. I feel like, um, I think kind of what the, the general issue in the, in the arguments before the 11th circuit, when it went up before now that the 11th circuit is reconsidering the case, essentially that's, that's where we are today. But the, the core discussion is whether prayer and, and believing one receives an answer to prayers for guidance is equivalent to like Googling the answer to, to a pop quiz or something. And, and I think, you know, personally, as a person of faith myself, and I think uh, most folks um, listening uh, who, who, who do have beliefs of their own would recognize, that, you know, that's, that's not an apples to apples comparison. I think, you know, if you look at, at someone who is deliberating on a jury and they say, well, you know, I just, I don't really believe the government's evidence. I, I trust my gut. They wouldn't get dismissed for that. And what it boils down to is a, a nation that is built on religious toleration and asks jurors to say, so help me God, can't dismiss those jurors based on the way they express their religious convictions, especially when uh, that would mean depriving a defendant of a juror who has expressed a preliminary inclination to acquit. Now, my understanding is now that First Liberty has taken this before uh, the Court of Appeal is actually asking the appeal to the Court of uh, Appeals for the 11th Circuit on bank. Now, what does that mean? That means that it's the entire 11th Circuit as a whole. So most, almost all, all appeals go before a three-judge panel. In this case, it would be all the judges on the 11th Circuit. So I think 10 or 11 judges would be hearing this case. Did you go to a three-judge panel at first? The case did. That was prior to First Liberty's involvement, but it did go first before a three-judge panel. And I gather that the three-judge panel upheld the, the uh, judge's ruling that the juror was should be dismissed. That is correct. Over the lengthy dissent from Judge Pryor, I think it was 63 pages and reads as essentially a treatise on prayer. I'm going to have to read that. I oh, it's uh, worth the read. I believe that. This this actually strikes us, I think, is a, a, a trend I'm seeing more and more where uh, certain portions of our society and indeed in our government are becoming actively anti-Christian or anti-faith. You know, it's it's one thing to be neutral toward toward faith, toward religion. And I think the Supreme Court has said this, but it can't be hostile to it. And it strikes me that this may well be that that case that is indeed where, where the there is hostility, open hostility to people of faith. Well, you know, I can tell you kind of what the case means as a, as a matter of, of interpreting the law. So, so what its impact could be more broadly. And, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but what is really important and central to this case is the standard of review. So what that means is you know, what burden of proof was the judge required to meet in order to take this person off a jury? So it's different when you're just in the jury pool and you haven't been put on a jury yet. But when a jury is in the process of deliberating, it takes a showing beyond a reasonable doubt to take that person off. So that means, you know, that's the highest standard in American law. That's the the threshold for convicting someone of a crime, essentially. So what this judge had to do is find beyond a reasonable doubt that this juror's expressions of trust in the Holy Spirit and, and as a result of prayer 
were inherently disqualifying from jury service. So that sweeps much more broadly. What it means is that anyone who shares those beliefs is now disqualified from jury service in this jurisdiction, essentially as a matter of law. And, you know, it would be one thing if, you know, if it was true. For example, if, if you know, the, the example we used earlier where, where someone has a religious objection to ever serving on a jury, that would be different. Uh, but, but here what this does is it disqualifies a large chunk of the population that, that should not be disqualified uh, just as a matter of law. So that's kind of the, the broader impacts that leaving kind of the lower court decision in place could have. So this is a much more serious situation rather than just this one particular case. Indeed. And that's you know, a lot of times what we see in, in a lot of the cases we're involved in. The, the reason working on this, these cases is, is worthwhile is because they do carry significant impacts beyond the facts of the case. Would that, uh, if that ruling is upheld, does that mean that anyone who, who, who believes, who is a person of faith, could not sit on a jury in that particular courtroom or in that particular district, or how would that be? I think it would depend on how, you know, the, for example, the prosecutors and the defense attorneys develop the the record of that person's religious beliefs in jury selection. But basically, if they give the same kinds of answers, do you believe essentially it's do you believe that prayer works i mean that that's what it boils down to um then it's it's entirely possible so so at the end of the day you know i I certainly couldn't speculate on on what the particular district judge um was thinking at the time and and it's very likely that it's just a misunderstanding about what that juror was expressing but when it's a, a legal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt being 50 50 just isn't close enough I can see that. Did the did the judge who disqualified the uh, juror did he give any specific grounds other than saying uh, he asked he he asked for prayer? Well, it's specifically praying and believing that God answered it. Essentially, so the the court went out of its way to say, "Oh, well, praying for guidance is fine," but then when someone expressed that, but they disqualified someone for expressing that they had received that guidance. So I, th- I think that's one of the things that Judge Pryor pointed out in his dissent that, that, you know, if you're going to say that prayer for guidance is, is okay, well, then the juror should be entitled to believe they've received that guidance. It just makes sense. And that's just what the judge is saying that, uh, okay, you can pray, just, <laughs> just we don't believe that, that you should be getting an answer. And that, that is certainly not consistent with the, the, uh, American tradition of, of religious tolerance. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see how this develops. It will be. Uh, you know, we've seen this in the, uh, in the U.S. Senate recently, where there have been a number of uh, questions regarding a person's religion before, taking, uh, before being appointed to a particular office. Uh, and yet the, the Constitution specifically prohibits religious testing for public office. It does indeed, and you know that's that's another interesting uh, element to to this case is that, um, well, I, I think the Constitution is relatively clear that you can't have a religious test for public offices, and how that impacts this case could be uh, could be interesting. 
Well, is sitting on a jury considered uh, now being a public office? That's actually an open legal question. Ah, good heavens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the answer is, I don't know. That, that is interesting. That is interesting. Uh, but still, I mean, just the, the fact that this, this juror was being punished for a religious belief that is presumed when this person took his oath, uh, that, that's where I get lost. Well, it is, uh, honestly, I think it's a little bit dangerous because one of the arguments that the government made in the, in the district court, uh, they, they didn't make this argument on appeal, but, but the, the, the government suggested that, that the juror might have violated his oath by failing to disclose this religious belief in jury selection. And, you know, they, the government didn't stick with that argument, I think, for obvious reasons. But the fact that it was ever raised is concerning because, you know, this this was a person who honestly believed and the court even found, you know, he honestly believes that he is following his oath to follow the jury instructions and decide based on the law and the evidence presented. So you, you can't just turn around and, and find that someone has has failed to be honest to the court when they believe that they're following the court's instructions. Did the uh, judge ask the juror if uh, this advice was to follow the evidence of the state? Yes, he, he the the judge did ask whether the juror was following the the court's instructions, deliberating based on the evidence, and the juror replied, "Yes, he was." And that wasn't enough for the judge, apparently. No, uh, basically, what happened is that the the judge found his his the juror's statements about. Uh, praying for guidance and trusting in, in the Holy Spirit's guidance to be inherently incompatible with jury service. The other thing uh, that happened in this case that uh, that bothers me is that it was another juror who complained about this. That's right. And, and you know, that's one of the, the points that, that Judge Pryor made in, in his lengthy dissent as well, that, you know, different Part, the whole point of a jury is, is you know, as a matter of you know, American law and before that, that English law, a jury serves a very important function as a essentially a check on the judicial branch. And it's the jury is supposed to be composed of many different people from different walks of life with different perspectives. That's how a jury functions. And that, that's its, its chief um, virtue. So it, it, you know, is natural that different jurors with different religious beliefs may misunderstand each other. But the risk is that when you take a juror off a deliberating jury, here's, here's the risk of what could happen. You could have one holdout who, you know, he's just not convinced by the government's evidence and does not want to convict. And then you have some other jurors who might try to pin that on his religious beliefs or or some other reason to try to get him off the jury so that the jury can go home for dinner. Now, that's that's an extreme example, and we have no reason to believe that that was happening in this case, but that's why the legal standard is so high. Well, I'm sure you've seen the, uh, the classic movie, uh, 12 Angry Men. I have. And that was the case where there was the one holdout uh, who who was then able to persuade the other 11 jurors through recent argument that uh, the case was perhaps not as it was presented. And that's what a jury is supposed to do. I think, um, in fact, Justice Alito, in one of, one of his opinions, has emphasized that 
you know, jurors are expected to deliberate and discuss and talk and express themselves in the way that normal people do. And sometimes that causes misunderstanding. Sometimes a judge may not you know, totally get get that. Um, but that's you know, that's one of the reasons why why inquiring into jury discussions in the first place is an unusual thing. But yeah, I've never I've never heard of that before. I'm sure it's happened, obviously, but uh, I'd, I'd never heard of one juror complaining in the midst of a deliberation that uh, one juror is somehow being being misled. You know, certainly there are cases where uh, there would be a juror who actually has violated uh, the uh, the standards, for example, talking about the case out of court, something like that. Right. Uh, but it seems to me to be quite a stretch to say that <laughs> asking and receiving God's guidance is somehow talking out of court. I definitely agree with that. And that's what the case boils down to. Well, where does it go from here? You're saying the appeal now is to the 11th court on Bank. Uh, have they ruled? Are they, are they going to hear? Have we made the arguments? Where, where do we stand? Right now, we are in the middle of briefing. So we filed our initial en banc brief the week of Thanksgiving. And once the government has an opportunity to file a response and we get the opportunity to reply, then the 11th Circuit en banc will be hearing the case in late February. Okay. That'll be uh, something I will be keeping an eye on. And I'll suspect I'll be talking to you again in February. Well, I look forward to it then. Okay. Ms. Patterson, thank you so much for being on the program and explaining this issue. Uh, sometimes the law and faith are in contradiction or contradict each other. Uh, but this is a case. And as you pointed out, you know, the U.S. was, was founded basically on, on, the, on the concept of faith. It was indeed. And, and, you know, anyone who is looking to find out more about our cases, more about this issue can go to firstliberty.org. And it's a lot of, a lot of good information about, about this and other cases. Indeed. Uh, in fact, I follow that quite, in fact, I check your website out every day. Once again, that's firstliberty.org. Uh, first that is correct. Okay. Well, thank you once again. And as I say, I'm sure we'll be speaking again in the future. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be with you today. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.